Hello and welcome once again to another nostalgic chat down memory lane. This is Jack's Throwback Attack. Once again, it's Throwback Attack podcast time. This time around, I'm chatting with someone I've wanted to have on this podcast for a while. They have appeared before, though. This time, I'm chatting with Robin Stevens, a puppeteer who you may recall appeared in the Rosie and Jim podcast I did a few series ago, as he played Jim in that show and wrote a lot of the episodes. However, he has a much wider CV on some iconic shows, so I had to get him back on to discuss those too. So here it is. So it gives me great pleasure to uh, be speaking to puppeteer Robin Stevens today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Jack. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, and uh, I hope you, uh, I mean, recording this in January, hope you had a good Christmas and New Year. Ah, yes, indeed, yes. Uh, we had a British a sherry trifle, Ooh. which was, uh, I enjoyed that. Hadn't had one of those for many years. <laughs> nice stuff, nice stuff. Yes, we'll talk uh, a bit more about that later on, because I know um, you're not based in the UK anymore, but we'll, we'll get onto that later on. Um, so, um, you're a puppeteer, and most of your work has been concerned with, with um, ragdoll productions uh, over the years. Um, for, I always like to go back to the start, though, and, and one thing I've found with um, interviewing many puppeteers is they kind of fall into two camps. Either they loved puppeteering from a very young age, they had puppets, they played with puppets, and they wanted to be one from a very young age, or they fell into it accidentally. Which group do you fall into? I'm number one. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> an, ad- an adult that never stopped playing with puppets, basically. <laughs> ah, that's fair enough, fair enough. So you're interested in puppets from a very young age? Yeah, my parents and my two older brothers, I think on my fourth or fifth birthday did this puppet show uh for my friends and i on my birthday and uh i just remember the magic of that of all these little characters coming alive in this little stage and um and also the moment in um the movie i don't know if you all remember it but the sound of music was quite big when i was a young person and there's a puppet scene yiddly 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 <laughs> uh in that that also captured my imagination so yeah i i, I always um was making puppets and performing puppets from a very early age uh so that's how it all started fair enough and how did that become your adult job <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I built, my dad actually helped me build a marionette theatre uh, when I was kind of a young, young, very young teenager. No, I mean, more like 11 or 12, I guess. And we used to do shows for the local neighbourhood kids. Um, and then um, I basically, when I left school, I really wanted to be an actor. I was always the one at school that got chosen for the big parts, you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, and uh, so I rather, I liked the idea of being an actor, but... Um, my dad was saying, well, you're more likely to be able to earn a living if you followed your other uh, line of thinking with your puppets because there'll be less competition, basically. (laughs) But also, I had this idea in my head that you could maybe use a visual metaphor of puppets to plant positive ideas in children's minds. So from a very early age, I was thinking how could you use puppets to to plant positive ideas in 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 the world basically indeed yes and um i read online so correct me if this is wrong because it was wikipedia and it can be ropey ah. um <laughs> so when you trained to become a professional puppeteer it was at cannon hill park in birmingham was it cannon hill puppet yeah there was um there still is uh, an art center there but sadly john blundell and his 
uh, amazing puppet troupe has now gone. But um, yeah, at Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre, they they had a you know one of the biggest uh, working puppet companies in the country. And I wrote to the six main puppet theatres. My mum actually went to the puppet centre in London and got the six addresses for these six puppet theatres. And I wrote to all six of them just with a handwritten letter said, you know, saying, I'd like to come be come be an apprentice, please. And uh, most of them just said, well, you know, that's not really possible. But John said, well, we can't promise anything, but come along. And um, I basically for a year just hung around. I was I was showing the children to their seats and stamping their tickets and operating the follow spotlight. And uh, I wasn't getting paid or anything. And, and then after that year, my father died and he had been supporting me for that first year of just hanging around this puppet theater. And um, that was basically the end. I thought, well, I, I got a job for Rank Xerox. So I was about to start work as a clerk. And uh, pretty much, I think the day before I started work as a clerk for Rank Xerox, I got this uh, message from Cannon Hill saying they had offered me a job as a, well, I, well I basically as a stage, an acting, an acting stage manager, basically, an, an acting S, ASM, assistant stage manager. So I would be acting, but I'd also be um, doing everything behind stage, backstage as well, which was perfect for me because I just wanted to learn. So, yeah, that's how I got started. And I spent four years at Cannon Hill training. John was uh, an amazing character. He he could charge. He could he could um, he taught me how to carve. You know, he could carve the most amazing no masks, uh, no masks in you know from Japanese no theatre, which are the most probably the most one of the most difficult things to carve because they have three different positions for different um, uh, character, it, it's different expressions in, in the mask. And anyway, he was an amazing, uh, guy to be apprenticed to. And I learned a lot also from watching the actors every day, because <laughs> a lot of them were very experienced and we did two shows a day, which is, I must say, I, I do recommend the apprenticeship way of learning. I know colleges are also great, but being actually in a working environment where everyone is actually doing the job rather than teaching you about the job, um, is a great way to learn and that's how I basically learned for four years at Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre. Absolutely and um, so from Cannon Hill how did you get into Ragdoll? Well uh, Ragdoll didn't actually exist um, during the um, well one of the people that trained at uh, Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre was uh, David Claridge who was the the puppeteer behind Roland Rat. I don't know if you remember Roland Rat, but he was the character uh, that he was the rat that basically saved the sinking ship of TVAM. And um, behind TVAM Children's Television was Anne Wood, who who um, was the founder of uh, Ragdoll Productions. And I went and auditioned for her while she was still at TVAM. Um, I think. Um, David Claridge or Roland Rat uh, actually recommended me to her. And I went in audition because they didn't have any offices. There was no walls, basically, in TVA. I mean, it was a big glass house by the canal. And I auditioned just in the corridor. <laughs> and I did six little puppet sketches with a little character called Roly. And they were little sketches without words. And I was on Rubber Dub Tub, um, one of the, which was her early morning show for little kids. And um, so that's how we I connected with her. And when she when she left uh, TVAM to start Ragdoll Productions, 
I went with her and the director, um, Doug Wilcox and Bob Burke, the designer, we all went with her from TVAM to start uh, Ragdoll Productions. I see. Yes, those names you mentioned uh, do seem familiar from reading the credits on many of the shows. So, yeah. Um, so the first big thing for Ragdoll um, was was Pob. Um, I know of the show, I will say, it's like before my time. My mum was a big fan as well. Um, what was it all about? It was surreal, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, my mentor, John Blundell from Cannon Hill, he actually carved the puppet and was originally going to operate it, but then that didn't work out. So I, I was going to be his assistant, but then I, then I found myself in the corridor one day at um, CTVC in Bushy, um, Bushy in Hertfordshire, uh, the CTV studios. And I, I remember just being handed this puppet and being told this, is, this, this was going to be it. And it was a wooden puppet. You know, most, mostly on television at that time, you saw the Muppets, which was soft and you know, had a moving mouth and they were a certain style. But this was a wooden puppet in the tradition of um, you know, Russian, Russian traditional theatre. So it was a very different kind of puppet to be working on television. Uh, and I just remember sitting there thinking, well, how's this going to work? But I remember looking in the mirror with him and suddenly his voice came. And uh, uh, the first few weeks of doing Pob, I just couldn't figure it out. But then one day I kind of stepped out of the way and this little guy arrived. I mean, basically the idea behind Pob was that Anne actually was sitting on a train one day and she saw a little boy in the days when trains had those glass compartments. He... Um, he was on the outside of her glass compartment and he was blowing on the window with his breath going, <laughs> and then writing his name in the glass and, um, and had the idea that this character would actually live in the box of your TV uh, when televisions were boxes. <laughs> when I was a young person, they were boxes. They're now just these flat things on the wall. But uh, anyway, Pob actually lived in that side, that box and would kind of get rid of everything in his way and uh, write his name on on the screen to introduce himself and uh he was basically moving all the all the images that you saw on the television he was the one behind them all and so he was basically a link character a, a link baby goblin that linked all the all, all the different items you saw on pop's television uh together yeah yeah i, I understand um i <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'm sure I've heard something on one of those greatest kids TV shows programs that they do every few years that there was a lot of controversy with the whole breathing on the screen because people said it, they thought he was spitting or something like that. Was, was there a yeah, massive I, backlash about I, I, it? I have no idea where they got that idea from, Jack. I mean, the problem, when we first tried Pob out, actually misting on the on the glass, we actually really tried a steam, an actual boiling steam kettle, which went had a pipe up inside the puppet <laughs> and we tried to make the mist, you know, come out onto the screen like, like a real mist. But all that happened was this very hot tube inside the puppet basically burned my arm. So we decided that, and also the steam wouldn't, we couldn't make the steam come out fast enough to mist up the screen. So that didn't work. And we tried lots of different things. Um, and in the end we used pledge, um you know furniture polish uh but um you know it was fine for the first couple of takes when i'd be going ha, ha, ha. but if you try doing that yourself at home right now you will start to get lightheaded and so on take 10 i was started sort of putting a little bit of on the end of it and um people somehow thought i was spitting I'm, of course i wasn't i was misting 
That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and while doing my research for this earlier on today, um, again, Wikipedia, bit ropey. Mm. It yeah. said that um, Pob was speaking Welsh. I don't think that's true, is it? <laughs> well, uh, do I speak Welsh? I'm I'm very embarrassed to say I don't speak a word of Welsh. Oh, I, mean, I, I didn't think you were it's Welsh. Mad, <laughs> we live next door to Wales and we, we learn French and German. Why do we not learn any Welsh, even how to say good morning? It's insane <laughs> but no uh, he was not speaking um the idea was it was emergent speech so um it was meant to suggest that he was he hadn't quite learned how to speak properly yet uh and it, and it was a lot more fun than just using words and he also his mouth didn't really move so no it, it was emergent speech uh, and uh but <laughs> it was funny because i used to have doug wilcox the director in my ear and we would concoct all these little sketches together and uh they would tell me that I couldn't use the F or the the F word, basically, or the F sound, because sometimes he might sound like he was swearing. So <laughs> that would be an interesting thing, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so okay, fair enough. Uh, so that was Pop. I mean, and also as well, you got a lot of really good celebrity guests on that show, and I've I have had a look at a few of them online and, and read up on it. People like Spike Milligan. That's fantastic. Yeah. Spike Milligan actually saw the show. And asked to be on it. I've got an American accent, so I'm trying to get rid of it. Um, but no, I was very proud of the fact that Spike Milligan actually requested to be on our television show because he just thought it was mad and crazy like himself. So <laughs> we did have a lot of fun. And Doug Wilcox, who was a really funny guy, we would basically concoct the sketch. He was the director in my head. And we would concoct these sketches together. And um, it was a lot of fun because... It, there wasn't much to, to stop us doing anything in, in this tiny little space. So it was, uh, and I, I had this huge box of props and he would hear me disappear and come up with a thing. And we would, although Bob did these amazing, most amazing props for us to use, but, but uh, yeah, one time uh, we did this channel. I don't know if you, you, you probably never seen it, but the channel four logo used to fall apart and come back together yeah, in yeah. the office. Does it still do that? And uh, anyway, no. but Bob came along and got hold of, we made a wooden one and he came along with the camera and smashed it. The whole thing went everywhere, but for some reason, Channel Four didn't use that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, so the next thing I'll quickly mention because I think the the the, the chap who um, manages this station won't forgive me if I don't bring it up. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a comic con and I met Sophie Aldred, and uh, I know her from certain other shows like Doctor Who and and and. and uh, zap and stuff like that um and he went oh corners and um I, I remember looking it up and i was like what what on earth is this program and then there was a puppet in it and i remember going that voice is familiar <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah that, that was me I, yeah, I spent many happy hours with sophie that was um yeah in fact she got the call for doctor who while she was while she was working on corners and i remember hearing her say that it was kind of bizarre because she would get all these letters about you know how did you feel when the Daleks were doing this? And she was like, well, it's not real, you know. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, no, that, that, I actually woke up one morning with this idea that, you know, I guess it was before the days of Google when I had this idea that children could write in uh, and ask questions, and then we would somehow answer the questions that children had. And uh, my idea for Joe Corner was that he would change shape and, he would, you know, if you were answering a question about how pens work, he would become a pen. Or, but uh, sadly, he got stuck as a blob and <laughs> told jokes in the corner, which wasn't quite the original idea I had. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fair enough. Well, thanks for clearing that up anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so next up in in the chronological order um, would be, I suppose, Rosie and Jim. Now, about 18 months ago, we recorded quite a long interview about that show, so I won't talk about it too much. If anybody wants sure. to listen to it, it's on my channel. We spoke for about a good hour, me, you, <laughs> Rebecca, and Neil Brewer, about the show. But um, we'll just touch on it uh, loosely. I mean, just give a, a brief uh, idea of, of how the show came about. Well... Uh, actually, before uh, Pob, I think, uh, or, or somewhere, anyway, at some at some point early on in Ragdoll's history, Anne made this canal boat for another TV show called Storytime, I think it was called. And um, so Ragdoll owned this boat. <laughs> and she had this puppeteer that she quite liked working with and a boat. And she was like, I wonder if we could kind of join the two things together in some way. So <laughs> I remember... Yeah, we had the idea of Rose. Rose's name came first because she was, and she, oh, Anne wanted them to be ragdolls because the company's called Ragdoll. And uh, her daughter, Catherine, had had this ragdoll that the company was named after. So I think ragdolls were, you know, dear to Anne Wood's heart. Um, and anyway, so they were ragdolls that lived on this boat. And it was basically Toy Story before Toy Story. Uh, and and the word and the name Jim came about just from us sitting there. I I still got the list of you know Rosie and Derek and Rosie and Mike. <laughs> oh, because we called her Rosie because of the beautiful roses and castles on the back of the boats. So that's how Rosie Rosie's name came about, and then Jim was added on as something that worked. <laughs> I mean, one of, one of the questions I've got, um, which I didn't ask originally, so I'm glad I've got the, the chance now. Um, John Cunliffe was the was the original presenter of the show for the first two series, and uh, I've never quite worked out because people have different ideas of how it came about. But some say he created Rose and Jim. I'm guessing that's not right now because you've just told me. But some say, oh no, he was um, brought on because he's a successful children's writer um, kind of things. So it wasn't his idea; it was Ragdolls, but he was brought yeah, on to. That's... That's correct. Yeah. yeah, Ragdoll had the idea for the show, right. and we brought we brought John on because Anne doesn't like to have actors pretending to be a writer. She wants an actual writer, right? So, so you know, she finds a famous writer that everyone knows who wrote Postman Pat, and she puts him on the boat instead of getting an actor to pretend they're a writer. So, um, Anne was very keen on actually showing the world to children as it actually is, you know, because there's a I think kids understand when something's real and when it's not real. That's fair. Yeah. And uh, I, out of all the presenters, I mean, I liked all the presenters. I'd say he was kind of my favourite. He had this just very calm way about him, like a calm granddad. Um, I, yeah. I find it a shame that he only did the two series, really. Um, I suppose it's, he must have had his reasons for leaving. It's hard, it's hard work. Um, you know, I, I don't think people understand what filming is really like. Mm. It, it looks very glamorous when you see it in LA or in Hollywood or something. But, it, you know, it's, they're long, long days. You have to be there at eight in the morning, and you, you quite often don't finish late at night. And you're, you're sitting in cramped, damp conditions. And I don't think, I don't think John. I mean, I think John enjoyed the two series he did, but I think he was ready to not do them anymore after that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so I was listening to. Um, I can't remember if I was listening to a podcast or if I was reading an interview with Anne Ward a while ago, and uh, there was a story that once upon a time you and Anne were in the ragdoll shop. And there were some children watching Rosie and Jim, and one of the one of the uh, parents said, "No, this isn't uh, Ragdoll's best show. Their best show was Pob." And then you turned around and surprised them by speaking in Pob's voice. Did that really happen? It's yeah. a great story. Yeah, that 
that actually did happen. Yeah, I, I think I remember that. Yeah, it was it was always kind of fun being in the ragdoll shop because, you know, I did a lot of the different uh, ragdoll shows so I could sort of go between them all. <laughs> and it, it was lovely seeing the kids interact with the characters. You know, it was it we we found it really helpful. We got little letters from the kids and we could we could actually watch their reactions watching the shows. And um, yeah, it was a very helpful resource for us to see to see the audience actually in our shop. <laughs> yeah, I loved that shop. I mean, every summer my parents would take me to Stratford and all I would do is nag them to take me to the shop. I didn't want to go anywhere else. Um, so I've got very happy memories of it. Um, it's a shame it's not there anymore, but I guess time has moved on. Um, but, um, I mean, um, it, was, it wasn't it was just a shop. It was also a, a play centre as well, which is quite unique. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, it, how did it come about? It makes no sense, really, to make a retail space. <laughs> into i think it was 75 percent play area and you know 25 percent sales so but you know ragdoll ragdoll's motto is works for children and um so we wanted it to work for kids we didn't want it just to be a shop we wanted it to be a place where you could feel like you had met the characters so you know we had the phones and we recorded messages from the tots and so you, could actually, you saw children having conversations <laughs> with the tots you know and i think yeah. they were convinced they were talking to the actual character and uh um, you know, you could slide down the Teletubby slide yourself and pull. We, I mean, we could not believe we built those levers for the Teletubby um, levers out out of aeroplane parts, and they would break. <laughs> we, I mean, uh, you would not believe how much use that shop got, and how yeah. how much work it was to actually maintain it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I've been trying to remember it because obviously it's been so long since it was there. I mean, the, I remember watching a. Uh, Teletubbies documentary which filmed a lot of inside the shop which was handy for making me remember where things were because I think Rose and Jim's boat was kind of towards the front it had a monitor in it that you could watch programs uh, there was the Tots TV cottage towards the back um, and part of it was Teletubby land and um, yeah um, I remember the very last time I went was when Boobar was was about so there was all these coloured blobs on the walls that you could touch and, and stuff like that so that's my last memory and then I think not long after that's when it when it folded but I was in Stratford last year and, and it's nice that um, the opticians that um, are there now still keep Rosie and Jim in the upstairs window as a, as a tribute really that's yeah Rosie, nice. Rosie and Jim are still there waving out out of the window <laughs> yeah it's great Fantastic. Um, so out of, I mean, there was many episodes of Rosie and Jim. Um, do you have a favourite or one that just sticks in your memory as that was good fun to do? Well, I think the fact that we all went up Big Ben sticks out in my memory. I mean, we all had to get security clearings because, we, you know, we were looking down on the Houses of Parliament and we had to carry all our equipment up this tiny little staircase. And um, Yeah, it was, that was kind of, I also opened the uh, the Tower Bridge in the middle of London, which was, you know, my 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 puppet fingers actually pressed the button that opened the bridge, which is, you know, not many people have done that. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Yes, you did get to do some uh, really cool stuff on the various shows. Yeah, I, wrote, I wrote the script, so I made sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling you did that a lot on the next show I'm going to bring up, which is Tots TV. Ah. Uh, yes. which, um, as of 2023, um, scary, it's 30 years old. Um, so, I mean, how did that show come about, really, to start off with? Well, um, after the success of Rosie and Jim, we were wondering what to do next. Actually, Rosie and Jim was still going. And, uh, you know, I, I had always wanted to do a show about children's feelings. 
you know, Rosie and Jim was more about showing children how the real work, the real world works and how you put, you know, a thatch on the on a roof or, you know, shoe on a horse or something like that. But um, yeah, I wanted to do a show which explored, you know, how how what you do with your feelings and interrelational stuff, you know. So um, so that's I think that's how Touch TV came about. We just wanted to do a show that explored that that type of thing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of that in the uh, in the program, and um, you did that with uh, you mentioned Andrew Davenport, who was tiny, and um, there were three different people who did um, Tilly over the course of the show, wasn't there? It changed a few times. Yeah, we started off with uh, well, you know, they had to speak French number mm. one, and then I had to teach them to be puppeteers. So we had Veronique, and then we had Claire, and then we had Alex. Yeah, uh, but Andy and I, um, and Andy, you know, halfway through the first series. We actually found him, and he was an amazing actor, and I taught him how to be a puppeteer. And uh, very quickly, actually, it normally took me a week or two to teach someone the basic puppeteering skills, and Andy learned it in an afternoon. And, and he already had, he used to do a party trick for his friends, which was Tiny's voice. And so, yeah, yeah Tiny was just suddenly there. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I find interesting because your speaking voice is nothing like any of your characters. Um, and I've seen interviews with Andy um, when he's been talking about Teletubbies and that, and I'm like, that isn't that can't be. That, that's just no, that's, it's just not. It, his speaking voice is nowhere close. I mean, I suppose that's that's the wonderful magic if you've got that talent to be complete, to have to completely alter your voice. Um, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's insane. Also, the great thing about being a puppeteer is you know you can be my age and still. Still do the same voice as Tiny and Tom. I mean, Tom Tuts. Well, just about. I can still just about do it. <laughs> um, I mean, do you ever get instances where, I mean, you were saying about Pob and that earlier on where somebody spoke about it and you surprised them. I mean, do you still get that now where people bring you up and they don't know you are the chap and you kind of surprise <laughs> them and go, well, yeah, you know, fun. I am. Because <laughs> I live in the United States at yeah. the moment and, um, yeah, I sometimes meet people from england and tell them who i am and they're they're they don't they don't believe me yeah of course until <laughs> so i do the voice and yeah they, and they can't quite believe they're meeting jim from their from their childhood <laughs> or tom <laughs> they did show um tots tv in america but i believe they dubbed over all the voices didn't they which is a bit of a shame yeah i actually had to go to new york to help audition the actors to do it mm. the, um pbs was worried that uh, American children would not understand our accents, so mm. they made them American. But if you look at Pippa Pig now, yes, you get you meet children here who are all starting to speak with British accents because they watch Pippa Pig so much. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that was true, but that's yeah. what they thought at the time. And they also changed Tilly to Spanish, which I suppose in America there is a large Spanish community, so I suppose that you know that makes sense. But whereas over here well, we're next door to France. So. <laughs> I remember Anne coming in with this idea and saying, you know, we need to make Tilly into this other character that mm. speaks a foreign language to make her slightly separate from us, you know, just so so we had to kind of work with that language barrier and, and what yes. that would do to our relationship. And what was amazing was Tots TV, as it was shown around the world, became the show demonstrating the second language. So mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just French you know, in, in England and Spanish in America, it became the second language of whatever country it was showing in, mm -hmm. which was kind of amazing as yeah. it was dubbed. 
Yeah, I can remember learning some French words from that show. I think I learnt one to ten from Tots TV in French, so we've got that to thank for. Um, well, I, you know, Andy and my job as the English characters was to translate everything yes. that she said in a kind of conversational sort of way. And Andy and I, because we wrote the scripts, we kind of felt like we had permission to improvise a little bit, and she would get frustrated that she couldn't do that. So. Sometimes she would obviously improvise in the same way. And then Andy and I, Andy spoke better French than I did, but sometimes we would just look at each other and go, oh, <laughs> what did she just say? Yeah, I do find it funny and I do kind of crack the joke about how, you know, the characters spoke different languages. Neither of them could speak each other's language, but they could understand each other absolutely perfectly. It's quite funny in a way. If you've ever seen little, very small children playing together with different languages, mm. is, is that they don't, they almost don't notice. Yeah, it's only us yeah. that seem to notice difference. Whereas children quite happily play with people from all over the world without even noticing. You know, and they, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where we were, what we were trying to say with that show as well. Yeah. One know, of one of my there, great. There is no real separation. Yeah. And one of my great frustrations as an adult is when people talk about it, remembering it, they always get the, the words to the theme tune wrong. They always go, I'm a tot and you're a tot. And I go, no, 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 no. It's I'm a tot, je suis un tot. <laughs> people always get it wrong. <laughs> great theme tune, by the way. <laughs> I do remember, I do remember, I remember trying to sing, we we tried to sing that song for quite a long time. It took quite a few takes because because it was so fast. Mm. And so when you, you know, the very first time we sang it, it just seemed very quite fast. Yeah. I mean, it took, and also with the French and the English, we weren't used to that yet. So it of was, course. it was definitely a, a bit of a challenge to get it right. I have seen a photo recently of, of the three of you um, with headphones on in a recording studio. So I'm, I'm wondering if that was the recording of the theme tune because um, you haven't got the puppets with you. Um, I don't know where I saw yeah. the photo now. We also did a bunch of audio tapes with uh, Rosie. Yes, Jimmy, I had one. Which, which was really exciting because, you know, when you write for a television show, you have to you have to phone Bob, the designer, and say, is it possible to throw the couch out of the boat into the water? <laughs> he would go, yeah, maybe. Let, let me think about it. But... Of course, with an audio tape, you, you can, can you can climb a tree or do anything you like. You know, go and sit on the moon or yeah. So it was a lot more. Uh, it was it was kind of fun doing the audio tapes just with sound effects. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, let's talk about the um, the cottage because I, I love that that cottage that Tots TV lived in, and it wasn't until years later when Urban Explorers found it that I realised that one, it was in Stratford, of course, where else would it be? Why didn't I think that? But two, it was it was an actual bricks and mortar thing, but it was just half the size of what a normal cottage would be, which you couldn't tell on the programme. It did look full size. Um, I mean, it was a fantastic thing. Were you involved in the building of that? No, the, oh. the, that's the genius of Bob Burke. So Bob Burke, you know, designed the Rose Engine boat. He designed, um, well, even put the weird background behind Pob, but but he also designed this Pob's house and uh, the Tots house. And yeah, it was. He even built a history into it. So if you look carefully, there was actually a. You can see where the addition. You know, there was a later addition to the house that he built into the design to me. Um, yeah, he's he's an amazing guy. He. Uh, uh, and and it worked perfectly for the puppeteering because you know there was a there was a, there was basically a, a cellar to the whole thing so we could actually you know go underneath the floor and stick our hands through the floor and um, it was designed perfectly for puppeteering and and for inside outside you know we discovered that on the boat is that of course we're filming in England where it rains a lot so 
you have to have rain cover. And so, the, you know, we would shoot all the inside bits um, while it's raining and, uh, and then go outside in the, in the garden when, when the sun's shining. So, um, yeah, both of the, 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 the right. And then he also, of course, designed the Teletubby site next door to the, where the yeah. Tots house was. Yeah. This poor, this poor long-suffering farmer. Uh, me and my assistant actually found that farm and knocked on his door and said, you know, would you mind if we just built a little house in that copse over there? We were just looking for a quiet place where no one would ever find it in a quiet little bit of countryside. And um, <laughs> I don't think he knew at that point he was going to get huge film crews arriving with the tots. And then also, of course, all the helicopters and, and um, crazy journalists trying to find the tots, the, the pub, the, what are they called? The Teletubbies. teletubbies. You know, with, <laughs> they were spying on the Teletubbies, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in recent years, as you probably know, um, people did find the Tots TV house, I think thanks to Google satellite images and stuff like that, uh, and um, yeah, were yeah, trespassing on the land, which was very severely winding up, said a farmer. I, I have seen a few videos where uh, people have been caught and been told to, you know, leave. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean... It's right in their private land yeah. next to their garden. It's not. It wasn't like in public no. land or in a no. park. I mean, it was interesting to see because when it was discovered, um, all the flooring had been taken up. So you could see, as you said, this cellar um, that, you know, and there were some holes where, you know, you could put your arm through that you could see. Um, yeah. I think the most iconic part was that, that blue staircase. But what surprised me to find out is it led to nowhere when people have discovered it because there were bedroom scenes That's i'm right. like well, where did they film that <laughs> we filmed the we filmed the bedroom scenes actually downstairs we would just redress it you know the magic of television is you can just change a, a shelf here and put a bed there and suddenly you you in your imagination takes you to yeah. another room so <laughs> oh, okay um, yeah we never we never actually did build a bedroom um amazingly i re talking of those uh, being under the floor i remember andy and i there was one, I don't know if there's, if you remember an episode where um, the tots were all sitting on the floor and building circles around them. Um, um, and they were saying, you know, mm. Tom would build a blue circle and Tiny would build a green circle. Yeah. And they wouldn't let each other into their circle of <laughs> stuff. Um, and um, I remember being under the floor there and we had these little, you know, in order to see what we were doing, we had a microphone here on our head and then we had a uh, a little a little television basically hanging around your neck monitor to see what you're doing and we put <laughs> i remember putting one of these things on the shelf they're quite expensive from you because you're wriggling around trying to get in position under that floor and we managed to break two of those monitors on the concrete floor below us and i don't think the technical people were that happy about it <laughs> indeed indeed and the other thing as well is you know when these people you know found it um which you don't see on the program is behind was the production area which was kind of dug into the ground a few more feet than the rest of it the only problem was is that it was always flooded whenever i saw anybody post about it online i'm you probably had the same issues yourself during filming with uh well with the ground, yeah right? they the cellar did leak a few times but i remember them basically making it into a reverse swimming pool so they had to line the whole thing so it wouldn't fill with water i don't yeah there was a there was a winter where we actually started to have water problems, but I remember they fixed it with some kind of amazing fix. Yeah. But I guess years later that didn't hold. Of course, yeah. And unfortunately, it's not there anymore. I think the landowner gave up with uh, all the trespassers and has had it uh, smashed up now, which is a shame, but hey-ho. Yeah. It's At a least shame we the, couldn't uh... have moved 
quit. Yeah, at least the ragdoll boat still exists, which has been discovered recently, which is which is really nice. Yeah, the ragdoll boat is still is in private ownership with somebody, and he's looking after it. And Good. I think he's restored it a little bit to how it used to look. So yeah, yeah, of definitely. course, of course, wherever you go with that boat, I don't know if you, if it's true now, but you know, a few years ago, you couldn't take that boat anywhere without. Everyone, you know, wanting to see inside it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing it, it moored up a... in uh, Stratford when I was about six years old. So yeah, I do remember. Um, so yeah, absolutely true. Um, <clears throat> so, and also there was so there was Tilly Tom and Tiny, uh, and there was Fairy Boo as well. Um, I'm guessing that was you. I'm guessing that <laughs> did that one. Well, actually, I think as it worked out, Andy and I would write different s- scripts, and uh, I would operate Fairy Boo for my for my shows okay. and he would operate very good for his because <laughs> it was only like sniffing so i guess anyone could do that <laughs> uh, yeah that's fair enough um uh, the thing that impressed me uh, about yeah, top... think... mm-hmm. no go on no, i think if you look carefully andy and i had very slightly different interpretations of how he worked so <laughs> oh fair enough um there was some i was just trying to think as well of episodes that i remember and that were big favorites of mine i mean i was thinking about ones like um i remember one in a harbor and i remember one with the, the naughty puppies that chew the man's slippers and but there were the, you talking about the co- the cottage and you know how it was built there's one episode that i remember distinctly and i'm like how did they do that without destroying it there's one where tiny leaves the taps running and it floods and you've got furry boo floating around in a washing up bowl and then somebody opens the door and it just all comes out into the garden i mean that, that must have been quite a technical feat to achieve about it seeping into yeah. the floor and everything that was the lovely thing about our design department is you, you know you would call them up and say yeah, yeah, flooding the house how do you feel about that <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people would just tell you no you know but uh, they would like we'll leave that with us we'll, we'll think about it and uh you know it's all very shot specific so you know they just they always want to know what the shot is and then they'll rig to it so they actually, I've forgotten how they did the flood. I think they just used plastic sheeting or or something. I, yeah, I mean, they actually built just certain areas of the house that, that could be flooded. <laughs> but yeah, it was actually in the thing. house. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, because when, when the door... When the door opened, the, the water had to come out. So Yeah. I mean, that's what I like about Rose and Jim and Tots TV. Everything was actual. You didn't fake it. You were on set. They were actual structures. No. Um, and we were there. Yeah. And the, and it was very good how you made them look almost as if they were alive because you saw their legs, but you couldn't see a, anyone there. You know, it was very clever. I do, those, I do like that. Those legs. Those leg shots were actually, if you look, were always shot separately from the, mm. the top shots. And they were the hardest ones to do. And generally, we would be doing them at the end of the day. But you yeah. always had to, because you had to keep your own legs out of the shots. And the shots were, you know, <laughs> quite wide. So you had to lean a long way. Mm. And it was always hard on your back to yeah. do those leg shots. Um, but, yeah, um, it was fun to watch. Another thing I remember, actually, because my dad actually ended up building a replica for me because I was so obsessed with it. But um, I remember because there was a lot of bits where the tots would go out of the house, and I'll go on to that a bit more in a second, but there was a bit with a with a chap called um, Jack who would um, be in a field and he'd leave some toys out and then disappear and some kids would come and play with them and the tots would watch from out of sight. I remember a distinctly one where all of the stuff that he leaves has something to do with water 
and a massive water fight breaks out, which also ends up all over the top. So I'm st- <laughs> I imagine you all ended up on the receiving end as well. But I remember there was this apparatus yeah. with um, the tubes and the funnels and that with the coloured water. And I've got a picture of me aged about three, and my dad has built a replica of that for me in my garden. <laughs> but it looked that's like wonderful. a fun one. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what we had in mind. You know, we wanted to get children thinking and 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 it's basically engineering it's early engineering isn't it yeah. so if you actually understand how to make one of those things work you're you're starting to understand the fundamentals of how yeah how engineering works basically and yeah, uh, yeah i think that was gary stevens who is an amazing chap who also sang the teletubby song if that was gary that played jack um yeah i remember <laughs> i remember those apparatus they were of course when the puppets got wet the poor does you know we didn't have we might have had a spare, but we didn't really have spares. So the poor design team had to clean them all up for the next shot. So yeah. <laughs> we used to make yeah, and we used to make a lot of mess. And yeah, but the nice thing was that we weren't stopped from doing anything because it would make a mess. I remember also yeah, like you say, we would get covered. I remember one day we were playing with water, and I got wet, <laughs> like me underneath, and I was like, "Who did that to me?" And then I realized. I was so focused on the camera that I'd forgotten that I, I myself was underneath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, I, my puppet had made me wet, you know. <laughs> mm. So I can remember ones as well, like going swimming, and also one where uh, was it Tom tries to build, or was it Tiny? I can't remember now. Tries to build a swimming pool, but it's like a muddy pond at the end because he hasn't lined it or anything, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming back now. I had a lot of the videos growing up. <laughs> so you're talking uh, about now. So yeah, a lot of lot of mess. Yeah. But um, talking about the going outside, I mean, what impresses me for a children's show, and you must have had some budget. You did go to some very far flung locations for some episodes. Um, there was there was Whoa. one there was one in America. There was the Christmas one and the treasure one as well, wasn't there? In Australia, yeah, yeah. we went to Australia, United States, and uh, also Lapland. Yeah, amazingly. No, I mean, if you think of Play School or something. You know, which was the equivalent, of, you know, shows for that age group. <laughs> no one was sending their presenters to other countries. Like, I mean, it was partly to do with logistics because uh, the summer you get in England is, you know, two or three months. So, and we were being asked to make maybe a hundred shows one year. So, we actually just didn't have enough uh, filming time. So that was partly why. But it was also just Anne thought, well, why? Why wouldn't I, you know, show children the whole world and rather than just a studio, you know? So, um, yeah, we, we it was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I was sent to Australia, um, Lapland, and we, in Lapland we were going to work on skidoos, <laughs> and um, yeah, was, yeah. I, I also on Booba, I was working in Spain in the <laughs> in on the beach for a year and a half, which yeah. wasn't, you know, which wasn't too shabby. That's not too shabby at all. I, I'm sure you told me, because we've, we've exchanged a few messages over Facebook over time, I'm sure you told me that with the Lapland one, with the with the sledge, um, it was quite scary at one point, because you were going quite fast. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I don't know if you remember how, how the sketch went, but yeah. Tom ended up as the, the reindeer. Have a reindeer to pull, to pull Tiny into his sledge, so they made Tom into one and put you know, twigs on his head and made him pull them. Um and uh, so for some reason, I was kind of nailed into this because the sledge was quite high. and We had a kind of puppeteering sled underneath that was being pulled along by a skidoo. And um, 
I just remember kind of being nailed into this thing. And I was like, if it turns over <laughs> as we slide along at speed down this hill, how, how do I get out? And they were like, oh, don't worry about that. It'll be fine. Um, I mean, I'm sure they they would have got me out quick, but yeah. I, I just remember being slightly kind of nervous about being nailed into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> on the on that particular trip, um, there, there there was a, I had filmed all my filming, and they were still shooting Tiny and Tilly, and and we still had an hour left in Lapland, and I I saw this beautiful sledge run right the way through these woodlands, and I saw this sledge hanging up in the prop uh, van. I thought. Well, you know, it's not going to do any harm. I'll just borrow this sledge and and slide down this hill. Um, and I, you know, I was always very attentive to the filming and never wandered off. But I thought I've just given me this moment since I was done. And um, and, and then when I got back, they were all like, "Where was the sledge? We have one last shot to do with the sledge." And and uh, it disappeared. So anyway, I got in trouble for that. <laughs> Good stuff. I mean, the the treasure one sticks in my memory the most because I, I had that on video. Uh, and I'm amazed it was filmed in Australia. Was it like a little island off the coast or something like that? Because it was this little treasure island they found, no, wasn't it? We were. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, we actually got taken out there on a catamaran, um, the the desert island, <laughs> and the, the owners of the catamaran started asking for more money and said they wouldn't take us back to the shore until we paid more. <laughs> <laughs> we were basically, we were basically, uh, the, yeah, Australian pirates, but. Um, yeah, no, we, we went to Australia and we filmed, uh, I think, for two weeks. I was actually sick for a week, so Nigel Harris, the director, actually operated Tom for a lot of them. Um, but, um, yeah, the we 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 you know the bounty the the copy of the bounty the ship the bounty we uh, we rented that for the day and did and did actually filmed on this mock up of the bounty which was amazing and then this catamaran took us out to this desert island and we filmed there which was so beautiful and the water was completely you know blue and it uh, but for insurance reasons we weren't allowed to swim in it which really frustrated the crew mm. you know because we were there to work <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a great episode actually and uh, if anyone hasn't seen it do go and watch it um it's uh, amazing that you went to all that effort to make that you know because some people you know some people believe you know it, it's just for children you just chuck any old rubbish at it but I no know. no sometimes it needs as much love and care as, as, as grown-up television doesn't it and imagine how much you know that cost to, yeah. make, to send all this crew to Australia. Uh, yeah, yeah it was, I mean, and 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 put her mouth where you know, put her, she she actually acts on what she says she's going to do, which is make children. You know, ragdoll works for children. She was actually trying to do stuff that really did work for children. Yeah, we had a we had a whole department that would watch children's reactions to our show, and then we would change the shows according to how the children reacted to them. So. You know, we we actually were really focused on making shows that children understood and enjoyed. Absolutely, and uh, I mean, I know Ragdoll don't own those shows anymore, but I hope the the puppets are saved somewhere. I don't know if you know where they are at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. I have no idea oh, where they are. To be honest, uh, I yeah, hope they're safe somewhere. I know. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> the nice thing is they live. They live on happen. You know, they were. <laughs> they do get a little used. Yes. Uh, and and sweaty. So. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so at least they live on happily on screen. That's the most yeah. important thing. And talking about Anne putting money where her mouth is, I mean, I suppose the biggest one was Teletubbies. You know, that was a huge, massive project and um, a show which, you know, not long ago turned 25 years old, which is scary. Um, I remember messaging you a little while back about it, actually, because um, I know that you weren't on it much, but you did have some involvement in the choreography, did you say, of the show? Yeah, I mean, basically, when you're inside a, a masked character, it's exactly the same skill set as when you operate a puppet. So um, I think for two weeks, I I worked with the characters and taught them how to use their costumes to communicate in the same way that I would teach a puppeteer how to communicate. In a, the, the eye mechanism that we had on tops was the same mechanism they used on the on the um, Teletubbies. So, uh, yeah, I taught them how to use their costumes it, because it's about visually communicating. Uh, you can't just say words and stand there because children don't necessarily listen to words. You have to know how to use your whole body and your whole face and mouth and everything to 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 make sure the children understand. You know, I, I taught the Teletubbies the choreography to, to do the big hug and so forth. But also with Teletubbies, um, one last thing about that, actually. Um, you were, uh, what was the character you did now? It was that man who lived in a little doll's house with the, was it with like a beret? And you went, la, 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 la. I remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really have a lot to do with that character except I was operating. I, I, yeah, I was just told to go away and make this puppet and then do this in the house. And uh, so Andy had very much, kind of because the whole, the whole way the character moved in the house was like early maths and mm. things that I didn't quite understand, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people... Are, I actually have that puppet in the attic, I oh. think. Uh, and it, it was pretty scary. Yeah, some, it does come up a lot on things online like this was frightening you know it's either that or the the lion and the uh, and the bear scene um it's one, right. one or the other um but yeah it's, it's funny how you can do something like that and you actually have you know affected children's lives yeah. in some way and then moving on to the 2000s um you you were still involved in some shows but not as a puppeteer but as yourself um booba you mentioned just um was granddad wasn't it was that the character it was yeah i was granddad um it, we after Teletubbies, we did some. Um, we actually got in a room uh, where we had a bunch of props, and we had a screen in our in the adults' room, and then we also had a screen in a room full of children, and they had the same props. And we were basically experimenting with with uh, live interactive television, <laughs> and uh, the children. You know what we discovered is the kids really enjoyed. You know blowing a, a, a car a, a bike horn or something and us falling over they thought that when they discovered they could affect change on the screen with adults they thought it was the funniest thing ever you know because as a child you're constantly being you know having coats put on you and you're put in the car and strapped in and you don't have a lot of control over your life so to reverse that and suddenly give children control over adults they think it's the funniest thing ever and so Boobar kind of came out of that experiment. I see. And I was okay. one of those adults on the screen that would fall over a lot. <laughs> I know, you did, you did a lot of slapstick stuff, because not long after that was, was Blips, which I remember watching, actually. And that, that was a very, uh, that was a kind of a silent comedy, very slapstick, um, where you played Mr. Perfect, and Patricia Routledge did, did the, uh, the the narration. Um, I mean, tell us about that, because there was kind of like, almost like a bit of a Mr. Bean kind of style to that, wasn't there? Yeah. 
the idea was to actually the original idea was to have a very tiny little me, a Mr. Perfect, and a and a big you know adult version of Mr. Perfect, and uh, and the fact that you know that we well we wanted to have someone that was very full of themselves um, and just showing demonstrating how to do things perfectly, and then for it, for the children to guess when things are going to go wrong the second time around. So so it was I don't know if you've seen Sliding Doors or. Uh, one of those shows where you're kind of giving clues to what could go wrong later. Um, but it, it was basically a prediction game for children where they could predict all the, all the terribly funny uh, things that would happen to this stuck-up character that thought he was so perfect. <laughs> and we, give, we gave them little moments where they could start to predict what would go wrong. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember a specific one. I mean, I'm guessing there was a was there a baking one or something like that. I can't remember now. Um, yeah. But yeah, you'd, you'd do it all perfectly, and there'd be Patricia Routledge's narration. Then it would rewind, and then it would play again. But the blips would come in, which are these little animated pink blobs. But it was the exact same narration from Patricia that would be played. And Mister Perfect has done a perfect <laughs> cake, and there and there you are covered in, you know, flour right. and eggs and that. So it was quite funny. At the, at the end of at the end of those shows, basically the whole cut, the whole crew would get around and just throw things at me, <laughs> which <laughs> I would just be covered in cake or yeah. whatever it was that day. <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. Um, so um, you left Ragdoll in the late two thousands, I believe, and uh, as you've mentioned, you live in a different part of the world. And um, I-, I know that you do a completely different type of work now, don't you? I do. Yeah. Um, I- my nephew started a, a, a cider company, you know, making apples into um, alcohol, basically. And um, so I'm, I've been helping him with that for a few years. Um, although I am just building an art studio out there with my wife, who's also an amazing artist. So we're about to start making videos. We're, we're at Ragdoll, we used to dream, you know, because it was always hard. We only ever had three customers, you know, the BBC and ITV and whatever. And so we used to dream of having our own aerial on the roof of the offices where we could just broadcast around the world and amazingly now you can so um yeah i'm looking forward to actually get going with that good stuff i look forward to that is that going to be on youtube or something like that yeah something of that nature we're gonna start making uh videos and see what wants to happen brilliant i look forward to that um and what brought you out to america (laughs) well um um well i my my uh my family kind of moved here, mm-hmm. so I came to continue to be a dad. And um, now I'm, re- I'm, I have an amazing new Texan wife called Kim, and um, I love it here. I live in Asheville, North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, nice. and uh, have a great time here. Great <laughs> stuff. And uh, I'm a massive lover of cider. I'm a big cider drinker, so <laughs> so uh, it's cool. It's cool. It's. Uh, I'm guessing it's not sold in England though, which is a shame. <laughs> or is it? Can you get it in yeah, England? It's, uh, it takes five apples to fill each glass, so mm. it, uh, it's a lot of apples, even yeah. just for a small parts of them. <laughs> but we are we are up the whole west coast of America, which is amazing. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And do you ever visit uh, England it, sometimes, sorry, or east, go on? Coast. east coast? I know which coast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, even I forgot for a second. Then, uh, do you ever visit England sometimes? <laughs> do you ever do bits of puppetry still? Or? Yeah, we we actually just went back for a, a Rosie and Jim reunion, which was fun. Oh, and my wife was amazed because we went into the car rental at the airport and 
we mentioned that we were here for a Rosie and Jim <laughs> reunion and the whole office with, with about six people all started singing the Rosie and Jim yeah. theme tune, my, which impressed my wife a lot that people still remembered <laughs> it. I don't think it'll be forgotten for a very, very long time, <laughs> any of those programmes and uh, Ragdoll. Um, so, Robin, it has been lovely chatting with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you for remembering uh, Tots TV's 30th anniversary. No problem at all. A big thanks to Robin for sharing his memories there. Well, that's it for this episode, and that was also the last in the series. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who took part and everyone's support and messages. From me, Jack, thank you for listening. <laughs>